Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. All right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good, 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 good. I'm so happy to be with you and have the chance to share this morning. Uh, I am obviously not Pastor Michael, uh, brother from another mother, but uh, another mother. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Um, Okay, where am I going? I am, this morning, I am going to be sharing with you for a few minutes um, about something I feel like the Lord put on my heart, uh, a little bit of a wrestle to get there, but I'm going to share with you a little bit about that. But before I do, I know that I've I've had the opportunity to communicate a piece of my story, a time or two up here. Uh, Some of you guys know, many of you don't. Uh, I am a proudest member of the Fight in Texas Aggie class of 2003. Hey, whoop! That's what we do. And so uh, I graduated in uh, 2003. Uh, it's a major sports school, so a lot of stuff happened in athletics. And uh, if you went to A&M, uh, you were probably involved with athletics at some point in a significant way. And so, so if you go down there two, three weeks, four weeks before school starts, students are already moving in on a campus. And if you look for people, you're going to find most of them probably somewhere in the sports complex and gymnasium. Everybody's working out, getting ready, and want to look our best for that uh, next class of incoming people. And so, 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 so it was very common. So I was down there a couple weeks before school started, go to the gym along with everybody else. And, um, I enjoy running. So I go to the running section and there's all these treadmills that are just kind of lined up against the wall, facing out into the room. And so I, I walk in there and, and of course you can feel the tension. It's kind of that first day of school feeling, even though it was before then. And everybody, we're just kind of impressing each other. We got our brand new clothes on, trying to look like they're older clothes, but they're brand new, stuff like that. And so, so I walk in towards the running machine area and uh, I grab my little key, go to the running machine. And as I do, I notice this guy who looks like he's from uh, somewhere Southeast Asia, maybe India. And he grabs this little key and he walks over to one of the running machines and he plugs it in. And if you've ever used one of those before, you know that that little red forked key, you plug it into the machine and then you attach the other piece of it to you. So that if, heaven forbid, anything happens, you just pull the key, you back away, the machine shuts down, everything is fine, you walk away, perfect. So he jumps on this machine and uh, maybe a first time or two, I'm not sure, but he plugs in his key and he just ramps that thing right up, all the way up, a little roll bar. And if you've ever been on one of those before, it takes a second for it to actually get up to speed. And so, so at first, uh, no big deal. He, he's just kind of, it's moving at a walking pace and he's, he's doing his thing, got his nice little workout shirt, his, his cool little new pants, little snaps down the side, little kind of deals going on. And so a couple minutes later, it's, it's moving at a pretty, or a couple seconds later, pretty good jog. And, and then it's picking up to like a, a pretty fast jog. And, and now he's like running hard and it reaches the point where he's like sprinting. He's like a dead sprint, you know, almost where it's a little bit awkward. Like, dude, relax. Like we all got time. We're going to be here a little while. You don't have to run like that unless somebody's chasing you. It's okay. We got time. And so he's just like sprinting. He's just dogging it, just absolutely just flying. And so he's running. And all of a sudden, those cool little snap down pants, like, like the cuff of one of those little things, just the little, the little edge of it just gets caught in that wheel back there. 
in the back of that. Yeah, it's going around. And all of a sudden, just like in one foul motion, whoosh, his pants are gone. Just, just, just rips the snaps right off. It's just totally disrobed. I mean, just, just done like that. And so, so the, 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 the bummer was that when, when those pants got ripped off, uh, you ever gotten out of the shower and you, you got dressed a little too fast before drying off and you try to pull your underwear up and they just roll? You know that awkward thing? Maybe that's just me. Okay, but it, maybe you know what I'm talking about. When, when his pants got ripped off, it just grabbed his underwear and it just rolled them. Just, just right down there, okay? So now remember, this guy is, is, is running at top speed, okay? He's flying. His pants just disappeared. His underwear just relocated from the waist region to the knee region. And, and you don't run well like that. You're not running, okay? So there's really, there's really nothing for him to do. So this guy, he falls forward. He grabs a hold of that bar. And because he grabs a hold of the bar, the little thing doesn't disconnect. So his little emergency piece is there. It's connected to him. His pants are gone. His knees are at his knees. And he's just kind of looks like a flag in the wind, just being drugged with his feet, trailing out behind him like this. And it's, it's so awkward. It's so embarrassing. Like people are diving behind the little info desk thing and like trying to look the other way and distract themselves. You feel horrible for this guy, just super awkward. And so, so he's there. And, and from this point, there's really nothing left to do but let go. And so all he can do is he lets go and that platform that is flying still grabs him like a bullet and a shotgun and just throws him against the wall. And so he just gets thrust against this wall. He literally hits the wall and then shrinks up into this little, like just this pile up there, just humiliated, embarrassed, just so awkward. And so then, then of course, he's trying to unroll the rolls and then like work with the machine to get his pants back out and button them all back up and finally gets himself back together. Everybody's trying not to notice this very awkward scene that just unfolded. And he walks up to the, the counter. It's my favorite part. He kind of walks to the counter. He slides the key back across and he goes, I think that is something wrong with this machine. <laughs> you know, friends, I think that sometimes for us, we look at this vehicle, if you will, of Christianity and we see it and we know that, man, that'll develop some spiritual muscle. And wow, that'll improve my confidence. And wow, this will, this will enable me to run faster and farther. And, and that's gonna do something significant. And if I jump on this thing and run, it's gonna produce X, Y, Z fruit in my life. And they're good things. And we jump on there and we start running like we know we're supposed to do. And all of a sudden something happens out of somewhere and we get caught up in some situation or some circumstance and what feels like moments later, the thing that was meant to bring life and joy and strength, we find ourselves in that same place, only now we're just in this humiliating pile of shame. And so many times I think that we wouldn't ever articulate it or say it, not publicly anyways, but the, the, the motions of our heart. It's like we walk back up to the counter and we go, I think there's something wrong with this Christianity. Friends, this morning, I want to speak to you about shame. And if I'm honest with you, it's something that I, I, I was not uh, excited and rallied to, to share with you this morning. I'm like, Lord, how about, how about courage? Courage is awesome. Courage is cool. Love is awesome. Shame. Sweet. How about 1040 window? 1040 window is really cool. Like, I love the 1040 window. Shame. 
And so I was kind of wrestling with the Lord a little bit. And within a short window, um, we have a circumstance with one of our kids and they are moving into kind of this next age and there's some age-appropriate clothing that uh, has been a challenge for them. So to the point of tears and wrestling and frustration and, you know, again and again and again. And so just a little, little less than a week ago, I'm sitting there and my wife had, had gone in. I was outside in a, in, in a camper, actually. We were in California for a couple weeks and I'm, I'm sitting out there and, and, and I, I just get down on my knees and I'm, I'm looking with my, with my child and I said, I just feel like the Holy Spirit just whispers shame. And I say, do you feel ashamed? Is that what's going on? Yes, Daddy, yes, I feel so ashamed. Okay, so listen, I'm your daddy. I'm daddy number two. He's daddy number one, but I'm daddy number two. And my job is to cover you. I cover shame. That's what I do. And I tell you right now, there is no shame. You are glorious. You are perfect. You are beautiful. This is exactly right in God's timing and everything he designed is perfect in its timing. And you are beautiful. There is no shame. I cover you in the name of Jesus. He's crying, okay, daddy, okay, daddy. I haven't really had any issues since then. And as I'm talking to her and I'm speaking, you know those moments when you realize that you're doing something with your kid and you're helping them through something, but you realize the Holy Spirit is actually speaking to you in that situation. And so as I'm talking to her, I feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to me about shame. He's saying, son, there's some things that are still covered with shame in your life that need to be uncovered and need my grace in. And as I was preparing for this and thought the Lord kept asserting, this is what I want you to talk about. I felt like he said, son, my church is carrying enormous amounts of shame. And shame will always cause you to withdraw and to cover and to hide. And you can't launch forward and take the hill and move and deploy the gifts of God and the call of God and the, the mission of God, the purposes of the Lord Jesus. You can't do that when you're recoiling in shame and your mind is overcome with comparison, taking the back seat, somebody else is better, whatever it is, we all have it. Sometimes when you talk about a topic like this, there's kind of this like, yeah, I dealt with that 20 years ago, doing fine. Friends, it is in the human nature. And, and just, to be, just to be very clear, this is not a one and done thing. This is in the rascal, it's in the flesh. Every single one of us know that voice of shame. And it, it, it's the narrative, it's the story of sin that's constantly whispering to us. It's the story that Satan is constantly whispering into your ear about what happened. Even if it is something that has been years in your past, sometimes that narrative continues to play over and over in your mind and you find yourself making this decision instead of that one. Even though you knew that's what you should do, the shame is still even though the incident is long gone, the shame is still so present, you find yourself diverting away from the purposes of God instead of towards them. I think that we are in a, in a season as a church where as technology has progressed, things that, that used to be remote or maybe just up in a village somewhere in one pocket of Christianity somewhere, there was, in a sense, maybe room to test it or to mess with it or to, to win or lose. But as we increasingly move through our technological age, 
I think that the things that we're saying and claiming about the person of Jesus and about the work on the cross and about what he does and who he is, those things are moving to a place where it's like they are being tested and they're being scrutinized by the world and the world is going, does it work? Like you're saying this stuff about Christianity, you're saying there's forgiveness, I want to know if there's forgiveness. You're saying you can cleanse the conscience. I know what it feels like to be so plagued by a dirty conscience and so afflicted by the enemy. I can't hardly think straight. I know what it's like. Is what you're saying, does it actually work? Is there actually power for this Jesus and this life to do what you say that it does? And in a sense, we're not at a place where we even have the liberty to blow smoke anymore. Either Jesus is who he says he is. He does what he says he does. And everything about it is true or it's not. We don't have room to just kind of push things out there anymore. There's a, there's a world that is, that is desperately looking for answers. Talk to somebody on the edge of suicide. Talk to somebody trapped in addiction. Talk to somebody who has patterns of violence in their life. And they're like, show me a solution. If you'll help me get out of this. Like, I, I don't care what it is. If you can give me a solution, I'm all in because I'm desperate and I have tried everything. And we're kind of coming to this place where it's like, the answers that we give can't just be flowery anecdotal stuff. Like, does it actually work? Is there actually power to produce shame? Excuse me, power to produce freedom. And I think that right at the heart of this discussion for us as followers of Jesus is this idea of shame. If we can give people answers to solve the sin issue, but we cannot give them answers to solve the shame issue, culture will not resonate with the message of the gospel. And furthermore, we're not going to be who we're designed to be until we learn to respond the way that he made appropriation for us to respond to shame in our lives. I remember years ago, uh, listening to a story that a good friend of mine was, was telling, he does a lot of ministry, and he was talking about, uh, in this context, uh, there was a young lady in her uh, early mid-20s, and she was recently married, and the intimacy in their marriage was going really, really poor. Just, it was, it was not happening, it was not working, and she just couldn't get into things, and it was just, it was really tough, and so they'd been excited, got married, been a couple years, and it was just going really, really bad. And they were super frustrated. She hadn't ever done anything crazy. She didn't have like an immoral life or anything. They couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. And so they were in a prayer session. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit took her back to a situation when she was about 13 years old. And she had been at the hospital and she was put onto this gurney and they were doing pre-op stuff. And they had gotten her all ready to go in for surgery. And so, of course, she was naked there. And so they, they, they did the pre-op stuff they needed to do. And then they're rolling her down the hall. They're in a rush. Some other emergency things had gone off. And, and, and because of the other emergencies, some of the people that were tending to her ran off the other direction and took care of these people. And they left her parked in the hallway to, as she recalled, what felt like a couple minutes lying on this bed, uncovered, naked, and just totally exposed. So the Holy Spirit took her back to this memory and they started kind of praying through it and realized that this feeling of being exposed and shamed and uncovered was what had been plaguing her and the enemy had used that and whispered through that and produced this ongoing pattern of shame even though nothing had actually physically happened to her. And so my friend wonderful man of God, he just said, as a father, I just want to step in as a surrogate father. And in the name of Jesus, I just want to cover you and to cover your shame and say that it's safe and you're covered and I honor you and you don't have to be afraid any longer. You're no longer exposed. I speak to that 13 little girl, 
13-year-old little girl, I tell you that you're covered in the name of Jesus. I cover your shame. And he said, almost immediately, that marital bliss situation flipped a switch and went the other way real fast. Many times, even in situations where there is some kind of abuse, the, the, the physical ramifications are, are minimal or often recovering, and yet the emotional, spiritual implications of that shame will just create ravaging chaos in somebody's life for decades. I know I'm probably talking to some of you in here right now. For some of you that have heard some of my story, I know exactly what I'm talking about. And so what we find is that there's so many people in the body of Christ, and so I feel like the Lord was drawing my attention back to, is that there's so many people that have come before me and they have, in a sense, they've, they've dealt with the issues, something they did or something that was done to them particularly, and they've dealt with the issue. They've received forgiveness, but they haven't been healed. And so they, they've gotten in front of me and they cried and they've repented and they've done all that, but they didn't know how to actually get healed and to walk out the healing. And so you have these people that are walking around and they just have this mountain of shame that's just constantly weighing on them all the time. I think sometimes it looks something like this. On the outside, hey, happy to be here. Family, church, workplace, government getting things done. But on the inside, it looks more like, man, there's this insane mountain of shame and I'm supposed to be running. I'm supposed to be taking off with the gospel. I'm supposed to be making a difference and I'm, I'm supposed to, to actually have something to offer. As a dad, I'm supposed to actually love my kids and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And every time they mouth off to me, I just want to slap them silly. And as a husband, I'm, my wife has asked for just two things and I can't ever seem to... Oh, and Jesus, you talk about my job. It's, just, oh, it's like a shame factory. You're pulling and you're like, I'm supposed to be filled with life and joy, but I'm dragging around this U-Haul-sized thing of shame and I can't get any traction in movement. And I, and I come to get my time with the Lord and I, I come, I get in front of him. All right, Jesus, I'm going to read my Bible. Before I do, I'm going to maybe just pop open the shame narrative a little bit. See what it's saying. Start with my children. Yeah, I blew it there. Yeah, I'm not half the father that guy is. Yeah, yeah I want my kids just to be out of diapers by seven. His are all making a million dollars in their six. Like that, that feels good. Yeah, yeah I, I mouthed off at them again. I raised my voice even though I said I wasn't. I came into the room and they looked at me like I was gonna be angry because that's what they expected me to be and it just crushed me. Okay, all right, so let's, let's go to my marriage. Okay, my marriage, yep, yep, I missed, I missed that. She's frustrated again. Yeah, umpteenth time around the bush with that issue. I'm probably never gonna get that fixed. She should have married that other helicopter pilot. Like, yeah, okay. Now, I don't even know why she's here. I just, I wanna recoil. She deserves somebody better than me. I'm an idiot. Yeah, oh my gosh, and just my thought life, good gracious. If anybody had a clue what was actually going through my head right now, there's no way. Thankfully, that's inside of here, but boy, you can say anything you want about me, but you can never say something as horrendous and difficult as the things that I'm hearing play out in my head. Church, there we go, church. Yeah, 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 Pastor Michael didn't even say hi to me. It's like I don't even exist. Dave did. Dave says hi to everybody. Is that good or is that bad? 
Like, I don't know. Maybe that's bad. Like, I'm just a nobody. I don't know. Like, yeah, blew it. Was late for Sunday school class again. Blew it. Totally missed my rotation with the kids. I was angry. So embarrassed when the parents came in to pick up their kids. All right, how about workplace? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Been passed over twice for promotion. That feels pretty good. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, the Wilson's got a new car and a new truck and a new house and a new, like, all they do is get new stuff. Like, we're, like, on fifth-generation stuff. I mean, I mean, like, people that, I don't know, shop at Goodwill won't even buy what we buy. Like, jeez, the Lord. Oh, yeah, yeah, my quiet, my, my quiet time, the Lord. Yeah, yeah, he's probably really angry because I said I was never going to do that again, and I did it. Yeah, he's totally frustrated with me. Just a thumb in the sky right now. He's angry. Yeah, I, I get what they preach, but like this is what I feel. And I can see that narrative. It's so clear. It's so clear. Yeah, I guess that's my, my quiet time. They, uh, yeah. Yep, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that was inspiring. Um, I guess it's just... Let's go, let's go do it again. It's just not working. I can't seem to bury the shame and I can't seem to get it off my back. You know, shame is the narrative that sin is whispering. And how you tell a story is oftentimes way more important than what actually happened. You can look at the 12 spies that Moses sent and 10 come back saying one thing, two come back saying something different and lead a whole nation of people in rebellion. Same experience, how you tell that story. And the enemy has a way of whispering to you and I about circumstances and situations in our lives that are always deprecating that are always minimizing what God put inside of us, that are always in some way diminishing who we are. And without even realizing, we buy the line again and again and again. And next thing you know, I'm comparing myself to that guy and I'll never be what he is and I'm not this and I'm not this and I'm, I'm all the stuff I'm not or heaven forbid, the stuff that I've done, I am. And it's just playing again and again and again. You know, when we look back at Scripture and we actually dive into this idea, one of the clearest places you see shame described or manifest is in a very physical sense. So in a minute, I want to, I want to take you to a couple passages, but before I do, I want to remind you that one of the things that fathers do is they cover shame. Fathers cover shame. In World War II, it was the first war, first American war that we ever had where fathers were actually drafted. And there were tens of thousands of guys that didn't come home. And it's interesting to me because when you look at that, that period of history, the late 50s and 60s, a little while after the implication of dads being sucked out of culture, all of a sudden some crazy stuff erupts that's taking place in our country. And I know there was a lot of factors, I get that, I totally understand that, but you start seeing some wild stuff with the free love movement and with the sex drugs and and watching Woodstock and all that kind of stuff unfurl. 
and it's almost like there was this covering over shame that was removed. Dad was absent, and now this shame is being manifested, and it's coming out, and, and they're trying to go, hey, it's okay, and this is just cool, and it's right. It's almost a Romans 1, like Pastor Michael reminds us about, like, that there's like, the glory and the shame. You fast forward just a, maybe a generation and a half, and you look at what's happening right now. You look at the numbers of fatherlessness right now. Some of the worst data that we've ever had. And you look at things like the LGBT movement and the homosexual movement, and you look at them and they go, well, we're coming out. Now you're coming out of what? Out of hiding. Why? We've been hiding because there's so much shame around this. Now, I don't want to get way off in the weeds here, but let me just say something. This is not a condoning or a validation, but when you look at the statistics on alcoholism, substance abuse, homosexuality, did you know those are almost exactly the same percentage of people in the wrestle? I'm not condoning it for a second. All of us have to stand before God's law. But what I'm saying is that there's so much shame tied around this in particular, there's been a hiding. And now the movement is coming out and they're saying, you have to accept us. You, you're forced to actually accept us. This is normal human flourishing. You're the problem if you disagree. And you're kind of standing over there and you're going, listen, uh, that, that's not right. Like that's, that's unnormal. Like that's not natural. That's maybe what you or I would say, what's being heard. Go back to your hole. Go get back into your place of shame. We don't want your shame out here. Go take it back into hiding. And we get confused because we don't really have recourse to understand what it is that needs to be healed. We just don't want the shame out here. We'd rather have it in hiding than have to look it in the eyes and do something about it. That's why it's, it's, it's just so devastating when, when, when we as a church, we don't understand this issue and we start going, come on, we take everybody. It's okay, come on in. We'll take you just as you are. I was just in California, I was standing there on the ocean, and I was imagining, what if the fish started running out of the water onto the land? Like, man, that's bizarre. Like, they're just, they're just, just, just droves of them running out of the ocean, running up on the land. I'm like, that's really weird. You know, and then my next thought would be, that's kind of unnatural. You got a, a minute or two, and then you're dead because you weren't designed to function that way. But you're, you're running out of, the, out of the water onto the land and, and I'm like, hey, that, that's not natural. You, you die and then you rot and you stink. And it just, it's very unnatural. Like, like it, it would be weird for me to go, come on out of the water, everybody. All the fish on the land. This is fantastic. You're going to love it up here. It's wonderful. Why? Because it's unnatural. It's only going to create death. And I feel like in a sense, that's what we do with a church when we just open our arms and we go, listen, I just want you to come running back in, bring all that shame, bring all that stuff. Just come running in. We accept you just as you are. It's going to produce death in you, but that's okay. We accept it. It's going to destroy you. That's okay. We don't know how to go. Don't go back to your hole in hiding, but we don't know what to do with you here. We, we, we offer nothing in terms of the solution of actually dealing with the shame. But I would submit to you, until we actually learn as a church and as individuals how to respond to the shame issue, until we can solve the shame crisis, the world will not resonate with our response to the sin crisis. We have to understand how to respond to this. It's never been about whether or not you or I are okay with each other. It's always been about whether or not you and I are lining up with his 
proclaimed known word of God. Sin is not between you and me. We don't have a law. Sin is between you and him and me and him. I don't want to judge anybody's sin. There's no judgment. I just want to know, do you want Jesus? Because he has a standard and he has a law. And it's always about him. That's why David could do all the stuff he did. He would sleep with another man's wife and then run off and kill him and lie about the whole thing. And then he comes back and he goes, against you and you only have I sinned. There is always lateral implications in our relationship when we violate the law that he's given to us. But if we don't understand the shame that's behind it, we will never see sustained change, sustained healing. You will never walk somebody out of some sort of brokenness, addiction, into sustained healing unless you can deal with the shame issue. I want to dive into a couple passages real quick here in Scripture and make our way through these things. If you want to open your your Bibles up to Genesis 3. I'm going to start in verse 15, and we'll draw some conclusions and observations. Again, one of the places we we see this so clearly is just in our our physical shame. If I told you guys, hey, come back next week, Uh, we're all going to be here butt naked. Uh, Pretty good chance you would not be here, okay? Uh, If you were here, you probably needed to be here. But there's something since the fall that like, we just get it. We just, we cover up. We just, I'm not comfortable. I don't know why. I'm just not. Why? I don't know why. I'm just, it's just, it's, it's in us. There's something that's going on in there. And you can see this played out in scripture that kind of leads us to how do we respond? In Genesis 3, you're going to pick up in verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals, birds of the sky, brought them to man to see what he had named them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds of the sky, wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why the man will leave his father and another and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Listen, friends, some of our streams in the body of Christ, we've gotten really good at going, you're a cockroach. You're a dirty, nasty, disgusting, soiled piece of... You're disgusting. Oh, but for the grace of God, but you're disgusting. You're sick. You're messed up. And boy, do we hear that? And boy, does the enemy pounce on that. But let me tell you, your story and my story, it doesn't start with being broken and disgusting and covered with shame. Our story actually starts glorious. We were beautiful. We were whole. We were naked and completely unashamed. There was no hiding. There was no distance. There was no emotional disconnection. There was no record of old wrongs being played back again and again and again. Chapter 3, 1, he says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, when woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in a garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. If you'll drop down to 321. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, this man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. You know, it's interesting, as I just pointed out, that Adam and Eve knew no shame. Like, can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine your life if there was zero impact of shame? They're created in this space. There's no records. They're totally pure. They're totally right. They knew no shame. And as soon as they violated God's command, it unleashed an awareness of shame in their lives. Every time we violate a command of God, the voice of shame gains power in our lives. Their first response was to cover themselves. They're like, whoa, we're naked. This is awkward. Let's go get something quick because we got to cover this. And so they, they run over and they grab some fig leaves. I don't know why they use fig leaves. Those things are not very big. Okay, but they, they grab some fig leaves and they slow, slow, sew them together and they make covering for themselves. Now, if the issue was that they were naked, then that should have been the end of the story. Oh, hey, God, what's up? Check them out. Fig leaves, nice. But that's not what happens. They, they, they sew the fig leaves together and then they go and hide. So now they've, they've covered themselves. They've manufactured something of their own creation to cover their nakedness. And then they hide. So it's like double covering. And then when God comes, they go, the reason that we're hiding is because we're naked. So the fig leaves didn't work. The trees didn't work. Whatever it was that happened, it wasn't about the physical context. It was about a severing of emotional, spiritual connectedness. And God's like, where are you? He's, he, he's sovereign. He's not asking a geographic question. He's like, what broke? How come I don't feel you? Why aren't we together? And they run out and they manufacture something to try and cover the shame. You'll realize that whenever shame moves in, the first thing that happens is there's a disconnection. Adam and Eve have never not been skin to skin. And now for the first time when they approach, there's a coldness between them. There's distance in the relationship. Anybody ever laid in bed with your spouse and normally it's kind of cheery and you just fall asleep together and you're laying there and it's like, whoosh. You're both pretending to be asleep. Neither one of you wants to talk. Just, man, it's just cold. She should start, he should start, whatever. I'm sure it's just my, my, my brokenness. Nobody else has that experience. But you're like, what is that? You can't go to sleep, but you're trying to pretend that you're asleep, but you wish that you were, but you... There's just like, there, there's just an emotional, there's something that shame has inserted. There's been some behavior, some narrative, something that shame has gotten in there, and there's a, there's a disconnect that's there. There's an emotional severing. And so you watch God come in, because God's coming to do his normal thing. I want to connect with you. I want to be with you. I want to be one with you. I want, to, I, I, I want us to, to walk together in the cool of the day, skin to skin. And it says that they covered themselves and then they ran and they hid in the trees, which is kind of funny to me. You may think this is thin. I don't think stuff is in there for a reason. This is my read on it. But I think it's fascinating that because of the violation of God's law, they cover themselves and they're in shame. 
And then it's a little ironic that they run to the place where the curse of shame would ultimately be fulfilled on a tree. And God's got to call them out of that space. Like, what are you doing? What happened? Why did you violate my law? There's clearly shame that's entered the picture. We're disconnected. We're emotionally, spiritually separated. Like, what has happened? That's not my design. And then what God does is so fascinating because it says that he went and he got animal skins for them. Now, I, I think there's, there's maybe a couple of reasons for that. I'm just gonna throw out one to be real honest with you. They tried to use plants and fruits to cover the issue and God's like, no, we need meat. Just, just gonna throw that out there for you. It's my personal conviction here. But, but think about it. God, God creates ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing. He could create anything. He could have just gone like, bam, leather straps. Perfect, here you go. But it says that he went and got skins of animals. So where do you get a skin from an animal? Well, traditionally from an animal, all right? And so God goes and it seems that he slaughtered an animal and he got the skin from the animal. He shed blood and then out of the shedding of that blood, he took those skins and then he brought them back. Because remember, they're wearing fig leaves. Their physical nakedness is not the problem. He sheds blood and then he brings those skins back and fathers cover and he wraps around them and he covers them. He covers their, the, the same word is used, nakedness. But it's not an external physical nakedness. They've already got fig leaves on. There's a broken severance inside of here. The narrative has begun to play. And he sheds blood and he covers their nakedness. And then in his mercy, he says, listen, we got to get you out of here because you're broken. And now shame is going to dominate the landscape of your mental fortitude in here. Like that's the, the narrative that we'll be playing. And if we don't get you out of here, you're going to grab hold of that tree of life and you're going to live in perpetuity and shame that you will never not know anything but shame. And he goes, we got to get you out of here. And they're forced to leave the Garden of Eden. Fast forward with me 4,000 years. There's another man. And he goes, you've been shedding the blood of animals because that's the only way you know how for 4,000 years to deal with the shame issue. I'm going to deal with it once and for all. Father, shed blood, covers the sin of his children. He goes, listen, son, I need you to go. And it's going to be your blood that's shed. They did that to Jesus. No, it says that it pleased him to bruise him. He did that to Jesus. I'm going to shed your blood so that your blood can actually wash over and cleanse and purify the broken, putrid, fallen, disgusting state of their conscience. And you can actually totally cleanse them when they surrender to you. I'm going to wash that conscience. And I'm going to totally cleanse them. And in a sense, I'm going to give them their access back to Eden. They're going to have the power through the blood to be naked and unashamed as is their original design. Now, if this shedding of the blood of the animal in the garden was a, was a forecast, it was so that we could not miss this. In 
In our nakedness, we violated God's law and blood was shed to cover our shame. In his nakedness there on the cross, he fulfilled God's law, shed his blood to forever cover our shame. In our nakedness, we violated his law and blood was shed to cover our shame. In his nakedness, foreshadow fulfillment. He fulfilled God's law and shed his own blood to forever cover our shame. Hebrews reminds us, he goes, this blood, it speaks a better word. That shame, that you've forgiven but you're not healed, that ongoing baggage that's being added and you're tolling around that thing, you need to get washed by the blood. You may be healed, but you're, you may be forgiven, but you're still not healed. You need the blood. You've tried everything. You need the blood of Jesus to cleanse your conscience. And this doesn't even mean that someone is not saved. I believe this is actually for the church. He's trying to teach us how to run back and go, Father, would you cover me? Father, I just need you to intervene. I'm, I'm just feeling shame. And I, I just, I need your blood to cover my conscience right now in the name of Jesus. I need freedom. I feel it. I feel it. I just, I know what I did last night. I know what happened. I know that I'm just, I'm walking under the shame. It's beautiful when you flip all the way to the end. And in Revelation 22, you're watching this source of life issue out from underneath the throne and it's flowing down the middle of heaven and it says the tree of life is standing on this side and it says the tree of life is also standing on this side. What's missing? That tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that proclivity to choose not God, that thing inside of me that's gonna violate his law and open up this chaos of shame unfurling in my life. I was sitting with one of my, one of my kids the other night and they, they asked me like, Daddy, why is heaven gonna be any better? Like, isn't that just like a redo of the same thing we already failed? And, if, and I'm like, dude, you're seven. Like, whoa. So I'm like, no, 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 sweetie. This is different because the shame that you feel and the shame that I feel, the narrative of the enemy that's playing over and over and over again, that gets removed. We get totally washed by the blood of Jesus. And in that age, there is no knowledge of good and evil. There's just life or life. Which one do you want? Righteousness or righteousness? Purity or purity? Holiness or holiness? Justified or justified? Perfect or perfect? Radiant or radiant? Naked and unashamed or naked and unashamed? What do you want, baby? There's no longer this option of shame to come in and ravish anymore. And I feel like now the Lord is saying, listen, kids, children, beloved, you, you may already have been saved. You may have been saved for years, but you know the narrative that I'm talking about. The enemy takes you back and he whispers his story to you about that thing. And you know it's still plaguing a space in your heart. I wasn't going to share this this morning. I was praying, I was praying, uh, but now I am. I was praying this morning before I, I got up early and I went and I was, I was praying downstairs. And I'm kind of before the Lord and I'm feeling a little insecure about this message. I'm like, God, I don't want to preach this. I don't want to, do, this isn't my like, ah, it's not my, not my angle. It's not my thing. It's probably not going to be received well anyways. And, you know, I just, I can hear the narrative. It's playing. 
I have a favorite shirt. It's a green shirt. I love my green shirt. Staff makes fun of me. I wear it so much. We go on tour and we're on preaching schools and stuff like that. I got my green shirt on. It's my green shirt. So this morning I got up and I'm like, I'm preaching. You've probably seen me wear it before a bunch of times. I'm wearing it again. Put my green shirt on. I go downstairs and I'm praying and I'm sitting here and this narrative's playing. Shame is speaking to me. Message will be rejected. This is not important. Nobody here is dealing with that. And I just, I hear it. And he goes, what's happening right now? And I said, I, I, I feel, I feel like shame is speaking to me right now. I'm supposed to be preaching, like, but I feel like it's speaking to me right now. I'm anticipating shame on the backside of this. I hear the Holy Spirit so clearly lean in to me. He goes, what color shirt you wear? I'm wearing my green shirt. It's okay. He goes, you're running in your shame and you're hiding in the trees. You don't have to do that. My blood covers your conscience. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm with you. I want you to speak this. I want you to get your butt upstairs and I want you to go put your white shirt on. <laughs> ran out of the basement, ran up to the bedroom, ripped off my green shirt. Like, Honey, how about this white one? No, this, this, this white one. I'm going to wear my green shirt, my white shirt. I want a white shirt. Why? Because I'm pure and I'm holy and I'm righteous. I'm a, a perfectly spotless, shameless man is standing in front of you this morning. I'm pure. I'm holy. I'm right. I am shameless. I am unashamed put my shirt on, put my Aggie ring on, like I'm going to church. <laughs> no shame for me. Shut up, Satan. Get behind me. Here's, here's what I know. I, I'm not alone in this. I know that. You know that. You know the narrative that Satan's playing for you. Here's what I'd love to do here right at the end. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back up. I'm gonna actually ask the prayer team to come forward. I wrestled even last service. I'm like, I can't do an altar call on shame because it's about shame. They're going to feel shame if they come forward for shame. So it's like, it's, it's just a mixed bag. I can't do that. And somebody came up to me in between service and said, I, I'm not hounding you. I'm not saying you missed it, but I'm just saying we need to physically respond. We need to tell same shame to shut up and go, Father, I need your blood. I need your blood. That the only, I've tried a bunch of stuff, but take me back to the rudiments. Remind me that the only way to cover shame is through the shedding of blood. And Jesus, I ask that your blood would wash over my conscience. I ask that you would crush the narrative that the enemy has been whispering, maybe for moments, maybe for decades. But there's something he's been lying to me about again and again and again. It's minimized me. It's diminished me. It's made me less than I am. I've made choices that I shouldn't have made just because of that voice of shame. And Father, what you do is you cover shame. You shed blood and cover shame. Would your blood wash over my conscience? So I want to do two things. Actually, I want everybody to stand. Would you all stand up with me for a minute? And I just, I, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. We don't have to take care of everything this morning, but I want some response in you to his guidance. I want you to ask him, Father, would you show me a place where I'm hiding? Would you show me a space that shame is invaded? Maybe it's immediate right away. You know the exact circumstance. Maybe there's something else that you're not expecting, but just let him put his finger on something. Just, Father, show me where I'm hiding. Show me where I'm running rackets, I'm doing stuff to cover up and hide, but it doesn't work. I need your blood to cover my shame.
And then I just want you to ask him, Father, would the shed blood of Jesus cover my shame right now? Would you, would you wash me? Would you set me free? Would you deliver me from that narrative of shame? Would you cut it off in the name of Jesus? So here's what I want to do. For the next few minutes, I'm just going to ask the worship team to play that song. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. I'm going to call on Jesus. I'm going to call on his blood. And, and as we do that over these next few moments, the altar is open. And if there's something and you go, I need to make a physical response to what he's doing. I just want shame out. I want the narrative off. I want to be free. I want to be spotless. I've been forgiven, but I'm not healed. I need to crush the shame. I want to ask you. I don't even want to invite you. I want to ask you, come down to the altar. Come down to the altar as a physical declaration. I need to serve notice to my heart. Shame, your narrative is over. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. It has a truth that no horde of hell can defy. And so I'm gonna pray, we're gonna start worshiping, and as we do, I'm gonna ask, come up here and fill the altar. Just get on your face, get on your knees, talk to somebody. Maybe you need to actually confess something you've never confessed. First John 1, 9 says, confess to him and you're forgiven, but it says, confess to one another and you'll be healed. That actually requires a vulnerability of confession in order for you to be healed sometimes. And so as the worship plays, I'm going to ask you, come on down here and just deal with it. Just, just, you don't have to respond to everything. Get something he's putting his finger on and respond to that thing. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you didn't even let us get out of the garden before you forecasted the answer to our shame. And Father, you made a monument right there when you shed blood to cover. And 4,000 years later, you brought everything into fruition when you said, I'm going to shed the blood of my sin, that you wouldn't just be covered on the outside, that you'd be cleansed forever on the inside. And this conscience can be made totally new, totally pure, totally right. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, we give you permission, put your finger on stuff, get ruthless with us. We're hiding, God, rip off the leaves. Get ruthless with the stuff that we're hiding behind that's rotting, that's unnatural inside of us, that's causing death. Get ruthless, put your finger on it and give us the courage to go, shame, you will not get the last word. I plead the blood of Jesus over me. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, come to the altar. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.